Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to KSL News Radio. I'm your guest host, Kirk Jowers, and I am uh, thrilled to be joined by Blake Moore. Blake, thanks for being with us today, and congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, Kirk. Thanks for having me on. You can hear me okay, right? I can. I know you're traveling, so I, I appreciate you pulling over or doing whatever you did to speak with us today. <laughs> No, it was good. I had a got a chance to be with the Maloof team, uh, the betting slash tech company up in Logan. Uh, they held a little event with uh, some of their some of their uh, child protection stuff. It's in coordination with Operation Underground Railroad and everything. And I've got a meeting down in Ogden, so it's uh, it's it's great to see organizations like Maloof get involved in these mission driven these you know these causes to kind of combine their business model with something related to, you know, community impact and everything. So it's really neat to be a part of that. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, uh, I I, got to think back just a little bit, you know, uh, so that people understand what you went through. I'm sure everyone in uh, the first congressional district has has a good idea. But for the rest of our listeners, Blake got into the race late. He was the 10th Republican to jump in. He faced a tough primary, was not predicted to win by almost anyone uh, until the very end, if, if at all. But you overcame all of that and are now the Republican nominee. I am proud to say that I had you on for your first radio interview as a candidate <laughs> on February 17th. And I was very intrigued by your resume. You've got a significant and important and high security foreign service. You've got a, a stellar business resume, um, significant community uh, activism. Uh, but I honestly wondered if, if you had a chance to, to get your, your voice heard um, in such a short amount of time against some pretty established people who had that kind of public persona. You had so much to overcome. So I want to start first. What are some lessons learned from your campaign? You know, no, people didn't expect uh, me to win politicos and and everything, and I get that. And I was running against a really strong field and great public servants that have been, you know, have have, have I, I, I commend anybody that gets into this ring, and I was running against um, several people that were that were heavily involved. And you know, there's name there's name recognition that comes along with that. You know, honestly, the lesson learned: it, don't let it deter you. Right? If you believe you have a unique, you know, something unique to offer, and you feel like you have a 
something to add to this this discussion in our political world right now, and I felt that I did. We had a really small team, so not many people expected us to win except our team. We knew we had a chance, <laughs> um, and you know, we just just buy into it and give it everything you've got. It was funny, you know, there's 12 candidates in the convention, and we emerged as the in, in the top two of that, and no one expected that, and and um, the thing was, is I went into that every single election, you know, milestone that night, the night of the primary, knowing we'd, we'd done everything we possibly could have. No one can run a perfect campaign, but we remained positive. We just focused on what our message was and we tried to communicate that out. And if you feel that way that night, you know you're, you're doing this for the right reasons, right? And you're okay to walk away the next day and be, and be whatever happens, happens. And we just, you know, we, we kept clipping along and and uh, I would, I, that's the lesson I learned is, is don't be deterred. Just, just go after it. I love that. I also love how you started talking about, you know, commending your, your many opponents. And uh, I know at, at times every campaign gets rough. Just, you know, you were uh, the high school Heisman uh, uh, football uh, award winner. So you, you know how to fight hard on the field and still love <laughs> and respect them after the, after the competition. But, uh, you know, the family uh, really pays a price uh, for the candidate. And it was funny talking to your wonderful wife, Jane, uh, just a few days after the election. And she was talking about the convention. And <laughs> and she said, I was just so mixed because I thought, oh, hopefully. So I found myself at times saying, hopefully tomorrow we'll say, oh, well, we gave it our all, but we just barely missed out. <laughs> making it to the primary but then you won and she was like so thrilled for you and and for our state and country and the first district but but then she realized she had to jump in even harder and you had to jump in even harder for the next couple of months so i'm with you i i just appreciate everyone who runs because it is it is hard work if you do it right exactly she's uh we were in a healthy spot the entire time there were times where she got real competitive too like, oh, yeah, go get this. I, I know you can do something good here. And, and then other times we were good. You know, what, what happens, happens. The, the voters get to decide. And that's the way we need our democracy to continue to work. So uh, has your in our first interview, we talked about your why of running for Congress. Has, has that changed at all as you've talked to so many, probably tens of thousands of people and uh, gone through this process? Yeah, I don't, I don't think anything uh is deleted from that, but the world has changed since then. And, and I, and I think what we were able to leverage was my unique background, having federal civilian service in intelligence community, foreign service, diplomatic relations. I loved hearing your interview with Robert O'Brien. I love the advance. I love what we've been able to accomplish over the last few years um, in, in combating ISIS, but also, you know, that's more of a offensive front and then being able to negotiate, Diplomatic relations between the United Arab Emirates and Israel, I mean, that should have been – I mean, that's historic. And those are – I love what we're seeing in, in some of those regards. And there's other areas that we need to have more collaboration with international community. Um, and so I, I love that part of my background. And then, you know, it, there's always a businessman in the race. We always see it. Uh, it, it doesn't always play out. Um in, in every election, but, you know, I've spent the last decade heavily involved in consulting and working for companies across all industries, and this last month and a half, 
has really solidified how important that's going to be. And I said this on your radio show months and months ago. I said, my background is what the job of Congress is. And it's hard to sometimes make that connection with people because I wasn't in an elected position. And, and so people are, oh, he's, you know, he hasn't ever run for office before. But the world that I came from in the public sector where it's every industry, private, public, nonprofit work, uh, where you're taking – you're collecting information from a given population of people. You're doing marketing research, understanding their perceptions, understanding what ultimately needs needed to be objective, what, what the objectives are, and then creating a strategy to go accomplish that. I mean, I see that as so in lockstep with what Congress does. You know, you see a path forward. You need to create a vision. Then you need to go build a coalition of of other members of Congress to get something accomplished. And and and, I, and I'm and I'm seeing that as I meet with Fitla and car dealerships and in the in the multiple many briefings as we dig in heavily to the hill air force base and the, and the needs there there is a broad industry perspective you have to have from credit unions and banking and and all that and and how it all intersects in our economy and and i'm really excited that my last you know decade of of, of uh, experience will will layer into that really well well i wish we had so much more time uh you hit a lot of points i'd love to follow up on but Unfortunately, we are out of time, and I know you've got to get to your next meeting in, in Ogden. But, uh, Blake, thank you uh, for being with us again. Congratulations, and uh, I'm sure we'll speak again both on and off air. Thanks, Blake. Thank you so much. Have a great day. We will be right back with Dr. Russ Osgathorpe, uh, one of the top infectious diseases specialists in the state, to talk about COVID-19. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.